It's Friday, August 27th, and you've got Oz in your ears. Dr. Blowjob, send me a job. I'm out of work and I feel like a slob. Please twist on your magic knob. And Dr. Blowjob, send me, please, please mend me. Dr. Blowjob, send me a job. Thank you, Bernice. Hey, you're out of work and I'm not. And that's why I can show up to host the one program that puts Americans back to work. One American at a time. Our first job seeker is Sterile Gorgon of Brooklyn, Iowa. Happy to be on the show, uh, Dr. Blowjob. Oh, just call me BJ Sterile, so tell me, where were you pinked? At Midwest Great Pains Packing, Doctor. I was a standby safety chain operator at the Lamb Sluice. That's hard work, but it is work now. Ah, you stay right where you are, Daryl. I've been doing that for months. Our other job seeker is a first-timer in the line. He's Tweed Eastern from same-sex Massachusetts. Who was at the other end of your downsizing hatchet, Tweed? Uh, worldwide whatever. I was halfway through my training as a generic brand special events manager when the bubble burst. Well, let's see if we can blow it up again. The voice you're about to hear, because you can't see him behind the screen, is a real employer with a real job opening. He'll test each of you with a job-related scenario, and your solution to the problem will determine which of you will walk away with a job, and which will return to a life of uncertainty, restlessness, and free-floating stress. Sounds like you've been there. <laughs> Mr. Gorgon. You're working for one of our communications divisions cutting a data pathway through an old-growth redwood forest and your blade accidentally cuts through a nest of endangered songbirds. How would you alert the authorities? Well, sir, where I come from, we have a saying. Eat what you kill and have the EPA for dessert. Oh, you come strong out of the box there, Stero. Mr. Eastern. You're working as a tour person in one of our theme parks, and the fun bus you're on accidentally runs over a trained pony at the petting zoo. How do you handle the shock crowd of tourists and school children? I'd remind them, sir, that it's a zero-sum life now. When that pony goes into our meat wagon, it means more hamburger for everybody. Oh, let's eat. And now the moment of truth. Who gets hired and who stays mired? The moment of truth. And yet, truth really doesn't have anything to do with it. If it did, the vast majority of the unemployed would be back at work. And the handful of lazy, system-playing-out-of-work slackers would fall off the radar. Or hire themselves out to GOP rallies as negative role models. I've made my decision. I don't want sterile. Oh, And I don't want tweed. I want them both. I want ruthless and toothless. I know good news when I hear it. Oh, thanks, Doc. That's Doc. Good. Thank you so much. All right, Bernice, take it away. Doctor Blowjob, you got me a job. Now I can eat and I don't have to rob. You turned on your magic knob. They downsized and pinked me. You made them rethink me, Doctor Blowjob. Thanks for that job. Put them to the test, and here's the best.
best of the best. In the past year and a half, President Obama has quietly used his powers to expand federal rights and benefits for gays and lesbians, targeting one government restriction after another in an attempt to change public policy while avoiding a confrontation with Republicans and opponents of gay rights. The results is that scores of federal rules blocking gay rights have been swept aside or reinterpreted by Obama officials eager to advance the agenda of a constituency that strongly backed the president's 2008 campaign. Not only are they are they doing payback to the, the gay community that supported Obama, they really believe in what they're doing. It isn't just a pro-quid pro. These people are pro. Among the changes, gay partners of federal workers will now receive long-term health insurance, access to daycare, and other benefits. Makes sense to me. Federal housing authority loans can no longer consider the sexual orientation of applicants. I like that. Well, I don't know if I want to, like, let you borrow on a home because you're both of the same sex. I don't think you should be living in one of our homes. The Census Bureau plans to report the number of people who report being in a same-sex relationship. And hospitals must allow gays to visit their ill partners. Can you imagine what it was like to be partnered and to be told that you couldn't visit someone who was sick or dying because you were a same-sex relationship? And federal child care subsidies can be used by the children of same-sex domestic partners. Ah, cut a few more victims off the list. The Labor Department is expected to announce that federal officials have rethought the Family and Medical Leave Act, concluding that under the law, a gay federal employee may take leave to care for a child with a gay partner. Individually, none of the changes are especially dramatic, but taken together, they significantly alter the way gays and lesbians are viewed under federal law. Winnie uh, Stalkenberg, a senior vice president at the Center for American Progress, praised Obama for finding creative ways to unravel policies that she said have long been unfair to gays. The administration, she says, has really opened up the toolbox that it alone has access to, to address the problems faced by gays and lesbians. And in April, Attorney General Holder reinterpreted the Violence Against Women Act to cover partners in a same-sex relationship. In remarks to gay employees at the Justice Department, Holder promised more of the same. I mean, Obama is a very, very clever politician. He knows where to court opposition and where to skirt it. It's true. He's really undoing some of the bad business done with the same toolbox by Bush and his predecessors. And Bill Clinton didn't do enough. Of course, it was earlier on. You have to put this within historical perspective. Gay, lesbian issues are very, very much on the table. Hey, 50% of the American public believes that gays have a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. Well, I was talking a while ago about the fact that uh, Billy Graham's son is really the bad seed. Now, I'm not saying that uh, that Irvin Robbins, who started Baskin and Robbins, was a bad seed, but his son certainly has turned good. John Robbins is the only son of Irvin Robbins, the co-founder and co-owner of Baskin Robbins, and was groomed by his father to run what at one time was the world's largest ice cream company. But John walked away from the company and the wealth it represented in order to advocate for a healthier and more compassionate way of life. Really? Yes. And mm. this from the Huff Post is his article about Monsanto. And, and the ice cream that you eat. Monsanto has been in the news this week with a U.S. District Court judge ruling that the USDA has to at least go through the motions of regulating the company's genetically engineered sugar beets. 
Okay, Monsanto, you may know, is not likely to win any contest for the most popular company. In fact, it has been called the most hated corporation in the world, which is saying something given the competition from HP, I mean, BP, Halliburton, and Goldman Sachs. Oh, yeah. So, things uh, got, he started to think about all this, you know, about Monsanto. And what came up was ice cream. Well, he is a, he is a yes, Robinson. He's an ice cream man. And how Monsanto's clammy paws can be found in most of the widely selling ice cream brands in the country. These brands could break free from Monsanto's clutches. So far, they haven't. But maybe that's about to change. Ben and Jerry gets all their milk from dairies that have pledged not to inject their cows with genetically engineered bovine growth hormone, RBGH. Ben, Jerry, yeah. thank you. Okay. Why then? Well, they don't even own it anymore. No, you know, I know they don't. Some, I don't Some remember giant that. corporation yeah, but owns then, everybody. But. Then why can't Haagen-Dazs, Breyers, and Baskin-Robbins do the same? Starbucks now guarantees that all their milk, cream, and other dairy products are RBGH-free. Mm-hmm. So do Yoplait and Dan and Yogurts, Tillamook Cheese, Chipotle Restaurants, and many others. But ice cream giants Haagen-Dazs, Breyers, and Baskin-Robbins continue to use milk from cows injected with RBGH. I oh. was wondering what why. I, every time I eat one of those Haagen-Dazs things, you suddenly turn into cookie dough well it's it, it this uh, uh this hormone is yeah. banned in canada new zealand japan australia and all 27 nations of the european union and to add insult to injury haagen and briars have the audacity to tell us right on the label that their ice cream is all natural now we have monsanto to thank for our bgh they developed the artificial hormone and marketed aggressively years ago mm-hmm. then sold it to elanco the eli Lilly drug company they want us to think the hormone is in every way completely satisfactory and safe right but that's not true right uh i'll tell you what according to this man what, what's mm-hmm. going on here okay uh, uh might there be compelling reasons not to want to get into RGBH? Yes. One is that injecting the genetically engineered hormone into cows increases the level of a substance called IGF-1 in their milk. Monsanto's own studies found that the amount of IGF-1 in milk more than doubled when cows were injected with RBGH. Studies by independent researchers show gains as much as sixfold. Does it matter whether there are excesses of IGH-1 in the milk, Dave? I don't know. Well, I'm going to tell what you and the, and the rest of the people here on the electronic, you know, super ones <laughs> okay. and zeros. It decidedly did to the European Commission's authoritative international 16-member scientific committee. Uh-huh. Their report said the excessive levels of IGF-1 found in the milk of cows injected with the hormone, right, pose serious risks of breast, colon, and prostate cancer. Oh, ouch. Serious risks. How serious? According to an article in the May issue of The Lancet, which is the English premenopausal women with even moderately elevated blood levels of IGF-1 are up to seven times more likely to develop breast cancer than women with lower levels. And- yeah, this Seven stuff's days. in your ice cream. Well, I mean, wait a second, but it's not in my ice cream. No, well, it, 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 I mean, as if these maybe risks, it is in my ice cream. As if these risks to human health weren't enough for yeah. nations to prohibit the use of RGBH, there are more. The artificial hormone is also notorious for causing the cows much pain and distress. Cows are not happy creatures. It does this by increasing painful and debilitating diseases like lameness and mastitis in cows who are injected with it. And because it increases udder infections in cows, it has greatly increased the use of antibiotics in Mm -hmm. the U.S. dairy industry. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to design a system to breed antibiotic-resistant bacteria, 
you'd be hard pressed to do better. And here's the final. I love okay. uh, uh, Does the increase in other infections have an effect on the milk and thus any ice cream, cheese, or other product made I from it? I don't know that I want to know this. David, it's Go too ahead. late. You're sitting across from Lock uh, the door. Uh, Most definitely, according to Dr. Richard Burroughs, a veterinarian deeply familiar with RGBH, quote, it results in an increase of white blood cells, he says, which means there's pus in the milk. What did you What did you say I could eat? Because I, I, my, my, my. No Hagen Dazs. No Briars. No. no, no Baskin Robbins. What can we eat? You stick with the other stuff. It's hey, okay. You know, Whitby Island ice cream is made right here. Right. So it's local pus. No. This is Shadow Wars, Part One. I'm going to read this entire uh, article from the New York Times about the Shadow Wars uh, in three parts today. Uh, because it's it's so important and so central to, to our future as a nation. No, the war in Afghanistan is not Obama's war. That's not fair. But the shadow war, as its, <laughs> as its shadows spreads around the globe, it's his, unless he does something about it. And what he's doing right now is just the opposite of what we need. Hey, I love Obama. I'm a big Obama man, but I'm I'm absolutely not going to step aside and let this shadow engulf our nation. At first, the news from Yemen on May 25th sounded like a modest victory in the campaign against terrorists. An airstrike had hit a group suspected of being operatives for al-Qaeda in the remote desert of Marib province, birthplace of the legendary Queen of Sheba. But the strike, it turned out, had also killed the province's deputy governor, a respected local leader who Yemeni officials said had been trying to talk Qaeda members into giving up their fight. Yemen's president, Ari Abdullah Saleh, accepted responsibility for the death and paid blood money to the offended tribes. So, oh, what, his, uh, his army went wrong, made big mistake? Hmm, the strike, though, was not the work of Mr. Saleh's decrepit Soviet-era or Air Force. It was a secret mission by the United States military, according to American officials, at least the fourth such assault on al-Qaeda in the arid mountains and deserts of Yemen since December. The attack offered a glimpse of the Obama administration's shadow war against al-Qaeda and its allies in roughly a dozen countries, from the deserts of North Africa to the mountains of Pakistan to former Soviet republics crippled by ethnic and religious strife, the United States has significantly increased military and intelligence operations pursuing the enemy using robotic drones and commando teams, paying contractors to spy, and training local operatives to chase terrorists. That's, that's, that's the core, okay? We're using American commandos, we're using drones, we're using contractors, mercenaries, right? You know, just we're looking for one good mercenary, and they aren't there, and training locals to spy and chase. The White House has intensified the Central Intelligence Agency's drone missile campaign in Pakistan, approved raids against Qaeda operatives in Somalia, and launched clandestine operations from Kenya. This is very serious, folks. This is the future of American military slash foreign policy. And if we don't do something about it now, our children are going to be growing up under this shadow. The administration has worked with European allies to dismantle terrorist groups in North Africa, efforts that include a recent French strike in Algeria, 
And the Pentagon tapped a network of private contractors to gather intelligence about things like militant hideouts in Pakistan and the location of an American soldier currently on Taliban hands. What if we had a true drafted army? What if we had a true drafted intelligence system where before we send these boys into harm's way, excuse me, boys and girls, you got to check with mom and dad. No, 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 no. We only send in the sons of the poor and then we hire the rest. The driftwood, the dross, the dregs, and the heroes get cashiered out of the army or come home after 18 consecutive duties. And what's left? Their, their home life has been broken. They become mercenaries and go back into the game. This is Rome. This is Rome in decline. While the stealth war began in the Bush administration, it has expanded under President Obama, who rose to prominence in part for his early opposition to the invasion of Iraq. Virtually none of the newly aggressive steps undertaken by the United States government have been publicly acknowledged. In contrast with the troop buildup in Afghanistan, which came after months of robust debate, yeah, robust debate? Didn't he read the Eikenberry cables? Is that robust debate? The American military campaign in Yemen began without notice in December and has never been officially confirmed. Well, Barack, we're confirming it right now. No, I don't think you're a Muslim. I just think you're a fool sometimes. I think you're overawed by guys with fruit salad on their chests. I think... You have, uh, you, you have a deficiency. You have never been in the army. You have never been under fire. I don't think you get what's going on. You're as smart as they get. So if you don't get it, there's got to be something else happening. Obama administration officials point to the benefits of, uh, of bringing the fight against al-Qaeda and other militants into the shadows. Well, what are those? Afghanistan and Iraq, they said, have sobered American politicians and voters about the staggering costs of big wars that topple governments, require years of occupation, and can be a catalyst for further radicalization throughout the Muslim world. As if initiating the shadow war isn't going to lead to larger conflicts. You really think that going around using missiles to kill people indiscriminately or discriminately, depending on how you look at it, is going to bring peace to these parts of the world? You don't think we're going to have to send in more bad boots into more bad ground? Well, you're kidding yourself. Instead of the hammer, in the words of John O. Brennan, President Obama's top counterterrorism advisor, America will rely on the scalpel. In a speech in May, Mr. Brennan, an architect of the White House strategy, used this analogy while pledging a multi-generational campaign against al-Qaeda and its extremist affiliates. Multi-generational? Does that mean the next five generations of Americans? What is this bozo talking about? And scalpel? Isn't that, uh, aren't we talking about something like uh, surgical attacks? Doesn't the ghost of Vietnam come floating into the room again? Don't we ever learn? Or do these people really like doing this? I went to school with some of them at Yale. I know how they work. I know how they think. And it scares the bejesus out of me. Yet such wars come with many risks. Oh, really? The potential for botched operations that fuel anti-American rage, even the operations that succeed fuel anti-American rage. 
a blurring of the lines between soldiers and spies that could put troops at risk of being denied Geneva Convention protections, a weakening of the congressional oversight system put in place to prevent abuses by America's secret operatives, and a reliance on authoritarian foreign leaders and surrogates with sometimes murky loyalties. I love that, murky loyalties. Hell, the entire establishment in Pakistan is playing us double and killing us and taking our bushels of money. Hillary Clinton, the belle of Wellesley, arrives with bucks in a basket, and they're using it to put our boys in bags. The May strike in Yemen, for example, uh, provoked a revenge attack on an oil pipeline by local tribesmen and produced a propaganda bonanza for al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. It also left President Saleh privately furious about the death of the provincial official Jabir al-Shabawani and scrambling to prevent an anti-American backlash, according to Yemeni officials. The administration's demands have accelerated a transformation of the CIA into a paramilitary organization as much as a spying agency, which some critics worry could lower the threshold for future quasi-military operations. Yeah, you betcha. Yeah, you militarize those goofballs in the CIA, those alcoholic psychopaths. Man, you're going to have nothing, nothing but blood and trouble on your mind. You know, these, these, the agency has, has broadened its drone campaign beyond selective strikes against Qaeda leaders and, and women and children, and now regularly obliterates suspected enemy compounds and logistic convoys, just as the military would grind down an enemy force. But these are a bunch of young geeks sitting in an air-conditioned bunker in Las Vegas, joysticking innocent civilians to death. And we're all sitting around worrying about toxic mortgages. For its part, the Pentagon is becoming more like the CIA. There's another good piece of news. Uh, You know, one of the things that's always given me hope about this country is that we have a non-political Pentagon. It has never been part of a coup. The CIA worries me. And if the Pentagon is becoming more like the CIA and we're turning out hundreds of thousands of contractors armed and angry and addicted... Well, there just may be a possibility that an army, a coup army, is being, is being aborn. Not consciously. Just the coming together of all of this ignorance and fear and panic. Where will it go? Oh, good Lord. Across the Middle East and elsewhere, special operations troops under secret executive orders have conducted spying missions that were once the, the preserve of civilian intelligence agencies. With code names like Eager Pawn. That's what I feel like. I feel like an eager pawn. I've got to, I've got to think about it. I'm not just one of the 10,000 dummies, according to the Dow. I'm now one of the 10,000 eager pawns. Oh, and, and, and excuse me. There's another code name I like. Indigo Spade. You could lose your radio show calling an operation an Indigo Spade. Such programs typically operate with even less transparency and congressional oversight than traditional covert actions by the CIA. Oh, my, oh, my. And as American counterism operations spread beyond war zones into territory hostile to the military, private contractors have taken on a prominent role, raising concerns that the United States has outsourced some of its most important missions to a sometimes unaccountable private army. Does that make your skin crawl a sometimes unaccountable army? Which means what? Sometimes they're accountable and sometimes they're not. Oh, mama, 
Can this really be the end? Uh, Ted Nugent is back. Oh, uh, my. And we have two codicils connected with this story. One is we will play directly after this Ted Nugent's <laughs> pig rap on Obama. <laughs> so you can't forget him. Cringe from the fringe. Cringe remember? from the fringe. I and sure also do. our uh, the head of uh, the Oz Design Group, Phil Fountain, who's been doing also all those marvelous bumper stickers, etc., did a cartoon on this, and it's also available on the website. I'm not exactly sure what the link is, but you'll you'll go up there and find it because you're all pretty smart. Okay, Ted Nugent says he should have been better informed about California game laws after pleading no contest to misdemeanor charges of deer baiting. Nugent, who lives in Waco, Texas, that's right. <laughs> I know. Said on his website that he takes full responsibility for the hunting incident televised on a February episode of his outdoor channel hunting show. Ooh, so he's got his own hunting show, and this, this misdemeanor took place. Yeah, it's free speech. You can have your own hunting show if you want it. Right, and, ba- and Basshole Buddies, one of my there favorite fishing yeah. shows. Yeah. California game wardens watching the show saw Nugent kill an immature buck during the hunt in Northern California. Investigators found that the deer had been eating bait before being killed. Nugent is so stupid. Oh, man. This man is such an effing idiot that he... And he's so vain that he films himself, you know, breaking the law and shows it on the hunting channel. Baiting wildlife is illegal in California. Nugent pleaded no contest last week to baiting the deer and not having a properly signed hunting tag. A Yuba Superior Court judge ordered Nugent to pay a $1,750 fine. Well, that seems only to be a reasonable thing. And, And he did, right? The man. Let's just. Yes. No, I was just going to say, what's Ted going to go back and do now that he's done this? I mean, you can bait deer or or aliens or anything you want to bait in Texas, right? Yeah, absolutely. Back in Texas, you can bait and you can bait liberals. You can do everything. Oh, by the way, it says here. Yes. That uh, I swear, says Phil Fountain in in, in the cartoon, Uh the name of Nugent's 2010 tour is Trample the Week, Hurdle the Dead. Trample, Trample the, the weak, weak, hurdle the dead. It does make you wonder if rock and roll can drive you crazy. In between killing pigs, I write stuff. And that's why you have me on here today, Neil, because you've had some very astute politicians on. But I am Ted Nugent, governor of Pigland. So I'm the expert on the health care bill because I kill pigs. And I just shot a monster big pig here in Texas. And seeing as how this is a pig bill created by pig bureaucrats to help out American pigs, as I approached this huge pig that looked like a beach sperm whale, I was expecting George Costanza to come out of the bushes and extract a Titleist number three ball from his blowhole. But as I was about to put a 10 millimeter slug in this pig's head, the last thing he said was, which is pig for where's my health care? They're pigs, Neil. We got to kill the pig. And in November, we got to vote the pigs out of office because this is a redistribution of wealth. This is the communist Mao Che agenda of the communist Mao Che fans in the White House. They're pigs, Neil.
If you want to stay on top of what's happening with Radio Free Oz or even want to contribute to the show, we have a brand new way for you to do that. Just go to www.twitter.com slash oznetwork and click on the follow button. Then stand by for further instructions. Kind of sounds like Jack Armstrong. Stand by for further instructions.
Revelado still Congo. Ritire dell'alma alta ad brujo poderoso cengo macho. Buenos sueños convertidos in realidad. Buenos sueños convertidos in realidad. Time magazine tells us that. Uh, As if the growing number of smoking bans in restaurants, airplanes, and other public places isn't sending a strong enough message, researchers now have the first biological data confirming the health hazards of secondhand smoke. Scientists led by Dr. Ronald Crystal at the Wild Cornell Medical College documented changes in genetic activity among non-smokers triggered by exposure to secondhand cigarette smoke. So you breathe in a little bit of that stuff and your genes start getting active in the wrong direction. Public health bans on smoking have been fueled by strong population-based data that links exposure to secondhand cigarette smoke and a higher incidence of lung diseases such as emphysema and even lung cancer, but do not establish a biological cause for the correlation. Now, for the first time, researchers can point to one possible cause. The passive recipients' genes are actually being affected. Crystal's team devised a study in which 121 volunteers, some of whom smoked and some of whom had never smoked, agreed to have samples of their airway cells studied for genetic activity. The subject also provided urine so the researchers could measure the amount of nicotine and its metabolites, like continine, for an objective record of their exposure to cigarette smoke. Airway cells that line the bronchus, from the trachea all the way down to the tiny alveoli, deep in the lungs, are the first cells that confront cigarette smoke, whether it is inhaled directly from a cigarette or secondhand from the environment. Crystal's group hypothesized that any deterioration in lung function associated with cancer or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, including emphysema and bronchitis, in which the lungs lose their ability to take air, would begin with these cells. And indeed, that's what he and his team found. The researchers removed airway cells from the volunteers using a bronchoscope and tested all 25,000 identified human genes in them to determine which ones were active, either turned on or off, in response to the cigarettes. The results suggest that the genetic changes among the low-exposure volunteers, some of whom exposure is exclusively secondhand, mimic those of smokers and represent the first molecular steps towards later lung disease. Oh my, my. What is interesting to me is how sensitive the lung cells are to any cigarette smoke, Crystal said. It doesn't matter if you are uh, walking into a cocktail party where other people are smoking or if you smoke one cigarette a week. No matter what level of exposure you have, your lung cells know it and they are responding. It's sort of like canaries in the coal mine. They are crying out and saying, I'm changing here. I'm changing the genes that I turn on and off in response to this environmental stress. Help me. I have Scott Wild on the Skype line. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing excellent. I'm excited about this uh, new launch of Radio Free Oz. Yeah, it's it's a big deal, and uh, I'd like you to tell the listeners out there what's going on and how we can uh, have them help us participate in this and and build the site and and get more clicks and more pages so that advertisers will come on and keep us alive. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, the first thing is, is we've launched the site, and since the launch last week, um, we've added quite a few features to the site, like the uh, new comics page. We've added some more bumper stickers into the mix. And now that we've sort of gotten our feet wet and, and we've started to build some new features on the site, it's now time to start telling the world. So if you're listening to this and you've got a website that you're currently in the process of launching, um, this will be the, the point of your launch phase that now it's time to start telling the world and uh, getting people to participate and start, them, to start to engage them in the conversation and, and get them to help spread the word about the site, which is what exactly what we're doing with Radio Free Oz. Um, last night, you and I uh, set up the new Twitter account for Radio Free Oz, which is twitter.com slash Oz Network. So if you want to find the Radio Free Oz show on Twitter, all you have to do is just send a message to at symbol or at Oz Network and type in your message and that's going to uh, go right to Peter. Right, And so uh, we're going to be making announcements now and everything that happens on the site, every time we have a new bumper sticker, every time we have a new show, every time we add some more comic art, we're going to make a broadcast uh, through the blog on the site that will automatically get pushed out to Facebook, our Facebook fan page, and also the Twitter posts. So for those people that are following along, if you want to stay in tune and you want to know what's going on in the world of Radio Free Oz, what's new, and take advantage of some special offers that we have coming up, go out to Twitter right now. Uh, go to twitter.com slash oznetwork and click on the little follow button and start to follow and encourage as many of your friends and family to follow along um, so that you can help spread the word. So every time that we post a message about maybe a hot new bumper sticker that we've got, um, all they have to do is the way that they can help and the way that you start to build relationships in Twitter is by retweeting that message out to their audience right. and help to start spread the word. Really, that's kind of the way business works. And it's not just about who can help us. But, you know, those people that engage with the show the most often, you know, we're, simple, we're, we're, we're certainly going to reciprocate and help retweet some of their information. So if you have stuff that's important, you know, that's what the, the two-way communication and the dialogue on the social media platform is all about. It's about helping each other. So we can certainly, as we build our audience, you know, help others spread the word about what they're doing as well, too. And that's just all about building a relationship. Um, and, I want I want to be known as Retweet Pete. <laughs> retweet Pete, I love it. No retreat, retweet, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Or what yep. Palin says, don't retreat, reload. No, don't retreat, retweet. It sounds like I sound like the little canary bird, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, we need to build people's presence on the website. A lot, a lot of folks are just taking the podcast through iTunes automatically. Get up in the morning, click, they got Oz in their ears, but they're not up on the site. And for us to encourage advertisers, we've got to show them that we have warm clicks on board. And, and yep. you're the very people that we need to help us with this. Absolutely, and, the, and it's a perfect way to make suggestions or ask questions of certain guests or ask questions mm -hmm. of the hosts of either David or Peter or uh, Dave Maloney sitting over there. You know, I mean, it, if they want to get involved in the show, Twitter is the absolute perfect vehicle for doing that. So, uh, and we're going to tell, we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, in in 
future episodes about what Twitter can do and, and how to really take it kind of to the next level because there's so many people out there, Peter, that they've heard of Twitter. Maybe they have an account. You know, there's 70 million Twitter users, right. but there's also a 40% abandonment rate because people set up a Twitter account and then they tweet a couple times and then they figure, oh, geez, nobody's following me. And, and uh, you know, I don't know what to say next. So we're going to talk about really how do you use it to build those relationships and how do you really help other people and how do you weed out all the crap you don't want to hear right and really right. find the stuff that means something to you so next so, next time we're going to talk about hootsuite yes hootsuite absolutely and how we're using this awesome new tool uh to really keep our ear to the ground and, and hear what's going on and start those conversations absolutely it's a it's a groundbreaking uh application for us thank you so much scott we'll be back soon okay looking forward to it I'm basically I'm an optimist, Dave, and I've always believed that the American public can bounce back from wherever they are. I mean, and, and slowly that confidence has been eroded, all right? And I'm, I'm always looking for the good side. But then I read that a substantial and growing number of Americans say that Barack Obama is a Muslim, <laughs> while the proportion saying he's a Christian has declined. Uh, uh, excuse me. I mean, I just, I don't care how many times those gizmos on Fox and all of those uh, ayatollahs, you know, with crosses burned into their heads, tell you he is a Muslim. The fact that anybody would believe this is beyond my ken. More than a year and a half into his presidency, a plurality of the public says they do not know what religion Obama follows. This is a man that has... Uh, pastors over all the time who gets biblical quotes on his Blackberry every day, who goes to church every Sunday and appears to mean it, who has a fabulous uh, house, you know, you know, uh, 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 married life. Nobody wears a veil, right? And yet they're not sure. A new national survey by the Pew Research Center, which is a pretty good one, oh, says yeah. one in five Americans now say Obama's a Muslim. One out of every five people on the street says the man is a Muslim. That's up from 11% mm. a year ago. Mm. Only about one-third of adults of adults say that Obama's a Christian, down from 48%. That's huge. And 48% say, I don't know what religion he's got. All right, so the view that Obama's a Muslim is more widespread among political opponents than the backers. Roughly a third of conservative Republicans say he's a Muslim, as do 30% who disapprove of his job performance. When asked how they, they learned about Obama's religion in an open-ended question, 60% of them say they say Obama's a Muslim, cite the media. Among specific media sources, television, 16%. Uh, 11% say that Obama's a Muslim. They learned it through Obama's own words and behavior. Like what? This was, this was done before he supported the mosque. Oh, yeah. It's before he got up and said, mm. May, basically, I think there's something called freedom of religion, and these people are just building a mosque, and I think we ought to, you know, oh, he's a Muslim. And what else? Oh, yes. And here's a couple of questions that were asked. Just, do you think the Muslims should be allowed to run for the president of the United States? Yes, 61%. No, 32%. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense. Should a Muslim serve on the Supreme Court? Yes, 65%. No, 28%. 28%. It is a, it is a truism in this country for as 40 years, at least, of my experience, that a third of the people in the country are either absolutely right or dead wrong. Yeah. And a third of the people are so hopelessly ignorant 
or so unwilling to fight another war, depending upon which decade you're talking about. Now we've got a third of the You didn't give the figures about the people who now don't believe that he has a passport or a birth certificate. Oh, that's all part of it. I'm sure yeah, that, no, the they're full right? goes in because anybody that says yeah. he doesn't have a birth certificate. And who was it uh, <clears throat> that said, uh, oh, yes. There, talk about bad seed dropping from a fairly good tree. Billy Graham's son. You know, Billy Graham, you may not be big into Christian missionary and all, yada, yada, but the fact is that Billy Graham was a basically good man, did not say people were going to hell, worked through many administrations without making any real political moves. He was he was a— Pro- Probably kept Richard Nixon from going totally stark-raving yeah, right, mad. Yeah, he was the first stadium preacher. Yeah. Well, and, and a fairly okay guy. I shared mm. a stage with him once when I did one of my TEDs. He was there, and he mm-hmm. was a nice person to talk with, okay? So his son, who has now taken over, right, says that the problem that that with with— Obama is that he's got the seed of Muslimism in him, that he was born a Muslim and can never shake it. Now, he wasn't born a Muslim. He wasn't born a Muslim. But that's so weird. That's the seed. The seed. The the bad seed of Muslimism. What bothers me about (laughs) all of this, the (laughs) secure communities kicking out people who are innocent, the seed, this is, and I, I don't. I use this word and it doesn't capture it, but I'm trying to find a better one. It's very Nazi-like. I mean, I don't like to throw this word around because, of course, it's not a country completely Excuse hungry. Me, that's, the, s- that's the N-word. That truly is. That's the N-word, Pete. Well, here's a further account of my favorite weasel, Mitch McConnell. It's from the New Republic. Mitch McConnell is careful with his words, so this dog-whistle message to the far right during his Meet the Press appearance today is notable. McConnell, the president says he's a, the president says he's a Christian. Uh, I take him at his word. I don't think that's in dispute, the interviewer. And do you think, how, how do you think it comes to be that this kind of misinformation gets spread around and prevails? McConnell, I have no idea, but I take the president at his word. To say that you take him at his word means two things. First of all, it suggests that the president's word is the only information we have to go on here. Of course, that's absurd. Second, it further suggests that the evidence being weak or inconclusive, McConnell is taking the high road by accepting Obama's testimony. The formulation is a sly way of siding with the truth so that he can't be pillared by the media while subtly suggesting that he is open to the views of Americans who think Obama is a Muslim. And of course, if reporters recognize the sneaky little game he's playing and demand a stronger formulation, all the better. It gets more chatter about Obama and possibly being a Muslim into the news. Oh, McConnell used this formulation twice, by the way. It's not an accident. This is the minority leader of the United States Senate. This weasel, this scumbag who, as part of this poisonous campaign of misinformation, to scare the American public into believing that our president is a Muslim and, by connotation, a leader of the terrorists, Saladin arisen, right? Uh, a, 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 an anchor baby for Islam. And McConnell doesn't have the cojones, and he's too sly and too greedy to stand up and say, 
This is bullshit. Of course he's a Christian. Everybody knows he's a Christian. That's not the issue. Here are my political differences with the President of the United States. No, these people have so little to stand on. They have no platform. They've got nothing. So all they can do is spread fear about the fact that our President is a Muslim. We are in deep shit. Well, David, our dear friend Brian Wesley sent, sent us this. It's, it seems the Minneapolis City Attorney's Office has decided to pay seven zombies and their attorney $165,000. Wait a minute. Yep, yeah, Zombies no, with zombies. a Z. Here. With a Z, yeah. <laughs> Okay. You know, people say, how do we put people back to work? How do we r- restart the economy? Maybe being a zombie. Or their attorney pays off. I think being their attorney is probably is pretty good money. But The payout approved you know. by the city council settles a federal lawsuit that the seven filed after they were arrested and jailed for two days for dressing up like zombies in downtown Minneapolis on July 22, 2006 to protest mindless consumerism. <laughs> and that was way back in 2006. Yeah, when mindless consumerism was rampant. <laughs> oh, boy. When arrested at the intersection of Hennepin Avenue and 6th Street, this sounded like Luther or axe handle No again. kidding. Most of them had thick white powder and fake blood on their faces and dark makeup around their eyes. They were well, walking in a stiff, lurching fashion and carrying four bags of sound equipment to amplify music from an iPod when they were arrested by police who said they were carrying equipment that simulated weapons of mass destruction. Simulated. Oh, yeah, simulated. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. Uh, however, they were never charged with any crime. Although U.S. District Judge John, or excuse me, Joan Erickson, had dismissed the zombies' lawsuit, it was resurrected in February by a three-judge panel of the Eighth <laughs> U.S. Were, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So, we, well, you know, they were thinking out of the box. <laughs> okay. Uh, by a three-judge panel of the Eighth U.S. Court of Appeals, which concluded the police lacked probable cause to arrest the seven, a decision setting the stage for a federal trial this fall. The settlement means there will be no trial. I'm so glad to hear that. Oh, but did, they, did they have to show up in their original makeup and costumes? Uh, and probably did, because mindless consumerism is still an issue. I was born an American. I was raised an American. And I'll die in America, in America, with our millions. This is from a very interesting blog called America at War. Well worth taking a look at. It's official. Although careful not to leave any footprints, the U.S. has boots on the ground in Pakistan. This was revealed on Thursday, the 22nd of July, when U.S. lawmakers Dennis Kucinich and Ron Paul introduced a resolution in the House of Representatives, quote, directing the president, pursuant to Section 5C of the War Powers Resolution Act, to remove the United States Armed Forces from Pakistan. I go on to quote, We have known that U.S. forces have been operating in secret inside the territories of Pakistan without congressional approval. We recently learned from an article in the Wall Street Journal titled U.S. Forces Step Up Pakistani Presence that the United States is engaged in a covert strategy to increase our troops' role there incrementally with the goal of convincing Pakistan to be more accepting of our presence. This is a violation of the 1973 War Powers Resolution, and it is our constitutional responsibility as members of Congress to act, said Kucinich. 
We became enmeshed in a war against Vietnam with advisors leading the way, and we are seeking to nip in the bud an expansion of U.S. ground presence in Pakistan. The Wall Street Journal had reported that after waiting for months to, for approval from the Pakistan Army, the first 30 special operations troops arrived in Pakistan in October of 2008, within days after President Zadari took office in September of that year. In the guise of military trainers, we're here to train the military. Today, the U.S. has about 120 to 200 trainers in the country with an expanded scope of mission, and the program is set to expand further. The ghost of Vietnam is floating in this room. While it is public knowledge that U.S. and allied intelligence agencies and contracted mercenaries have been operating by recruiting spies, bribing, and assassinating targets inside Pakistan, this bill confirms the long-suspected presence of regular U.S. military forces in Pakistan. In two reports in The Nation, Jeremy Scahill has reported that in parallel with the CIA, soldiers from the Joint Special Operations Command of the U.S. Special Operations Command, each with its own Blackwater and other contracted personnel, deadly drunk mercenaries, were thought to be operating in Pakistan, recruiting spies, well, there's good work, running faux terrorists. That sounds very Parisian. Oh, look at that. I'm wearing the faux terrorists. Staging apparent terrorist incidents, buying friends, bribing the recalcitrant, and assassinating targets. They could shake hands with the Taliban. A much wider presence, however, was first confirmed by Christina Lamb's story in the New York Times on three JSOC soldiers in civilian clothes who were killed in Lower Deer while on their way to inaugurate a girls' school built with U.S. money. This is just a this ironically horrible uh, a scenario. I mean, it, it begs for black humor. Expectedly, the Kucinich-Paul resolution failed to carry by 38 to 372 votes on July 27th. Right now, it's a dead issue. So, only the citizens of Pakistan, including those sworn to protect the sovereignty of Pakistan, can now, according to Kucinich and Paul, remove the United States armed forces from Pakistan. Get going. This is from Talking Points Memo. There are a few politicians I really like and who can make me laugh, and one of them is Representative Alan Grayson. And he isn't taking any chances with his re-election, attacking all of his potential opponents as they fight each other in the GOP primary. This is down in Florida. But he's saving his harshest line for his likely rival, Daniel Webster, or as Grayson calls him, Taliban Dan. Why? Well, it's all here in this letter that, that Grayson wrote Dan, here, in his own words. Okay, he says, my opponent, Dan Webster, endorsed in the primary by the Orlando Sentinel and by Jeb Bush, may not have a clue on what to do about joblessness, homelessness, expensive health care, no money for schools or endless war, but he does know what to do about divorce. Ban it. In the Florida legislature, Dan Webster sponsored and supported a bill to institute covenant marriage. In a covenant marriage, you can't get divorced. So Dan Webster's bill reduces the institution of marriage to a roach motel. You can check in, but you can't check out. With one exception, adultery. So let's say that your husband, God forbid, has been abusing you and you need a divorce. You have only one option. According to Dan Webster's law, you would need to deliberately commit infidelity in order to get a divorce. Ah, but here's the catch. Under Dan Webster's law, if both parties cheat on each other, then they can't get a divorce, ever. 
No, they're locked in holy matrimony forever, like two scorpions in a bottle. So if you cheat on him to get away from him, and it turns out that he's cheating on you, well then, you're in the bottle. There is only one place in the entire world where both divorce and annulment are forbidden. The Taliban government in northwest Pakistan. And Taliban Dan wants to institute the same rule here. The man with a 19th century name wants to pass 13th century laws, which you and I will have to live by. Well, thank you, Alan. And incidentally, Webster has won the endorsement of former GOP presidential candidate Mike Huckabee, who supports covenant marriage so much that he's actually involved in one. Think about it. In a scorpion bottle with Mike Huckabee. Can't leave, Dave. Can't wander off into the unknown. Can't face the night without at least a touch of tang. A touch of tang. How about autumn evening? Ooh, that's what it is. It's coming up. It's just like it anyway. This is a Wang Wei poem, and it really does feels feel... like autumn here on the island. I was I was shivering last night, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, this is our. This is just the way it is. After the rain that covered these mountains, the night air smells of fall. The moon gleams among long, needled pines. Rushing softly across its rocks, the creek glitters. Bringing their laundry home through the bamboos, women chatter. A fisherman poles his boat through the heavy lotus leaves, swaying. The spring flowers and their heavy odors are gone. Stick around anyway, old friend, for the beauty of fall. Ah, stick around for the beauty of fall. Because it's coming. We're here every day until it happens, Dave. We're going to be here till the autumn and beyond. Because we are Radio Free Oz on RadioFreeOz.com. The Oz team. Hey, there's me. I'm your host, Peter Bergman. Hey, there's him. And there's me. That's David Osmond, our co-host. There's a guy out there in the booth I'm looking at, Dave Maloney. Who he? Well, he's our audio engineer. He owned this place. He, He make it look so good. And then there's uh, Phil Fountain, head of the Oz Design Group, basically doing all the graphics, and Chaz Glass doing them financials, and we got uh, John Cummin doing the ones and zeros, uh, and we got Patty Monet, who is on the sports desk, the sports desk, you say, Tom Gedwillow, our web uh, runner, and uh, Scott Wilde, who makes the social media sing. Sing with you again tomorrow, baby doll. 